The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Thank you. Good morning, Story City. My name is Stephanie Gardner. Um, I'm going to be reading from Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. So if you could please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want, he asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? We are able, they said to him. He told them, you will, need, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is. Thank you, Stephanie. So, fam, you guys doing good this morning? Surprise, it's me again. My name is Jared. I have the honor of being one of your pastors here, and uh, you are at the Burbank location of Story City Church. We are super excited that you are here. Again, your story is welcome here. We are super glad and, uh, and want you to know that, uh, that we have an honor to, to have you with us this morning. Uh, story City exists to lead communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. And some of you know this, but some of you don't. One of the ways we are working to see healthy communities is leading communities in health in the area of foster care and adoption. There is something like 400,000 children in the foster care system in the United States. 35,000 alone are here in Los Angeles. That means that we have both the most numerically and per capita. Let's sink in for a second. Los Angeles has the most kids in the system, both numerically and per capita. Now, it's been reported that kids who age out of the foster care system, um, sorry, Matt, I can't share my my Wi-Fi with you from the stage. I apologize. <laughs> it just popped up. That was funny. Um, but here's the deal. Many kids who age out of the system, they end up in jail or dead. Many end up in addiction or are trafficked. And so Story City cares about this for a number of reasons. First, Scripture calls us to care for and seek justice for those who cannot care for or seek justice for themselves. Secondly, if we want to see communities experience true change in things like fatherlessness, abuse, drug abuse, recidivism, educational disparity, especially in poor communities, housing insecurity, food insecurity, sex trafficking, all the hot button issues can be traced back to foster care and adoption. If we want to see those things addressed, we need to address them upstream. Lastly, excuse me, Story City cares deeply about life from womb to the tomb. We see all people have the opportunity to have healthy lives physically, 
emotionally, spiritually, and economically. Now, why am I bringing this up? Story City has an amazing relationship with an organization called Residents of Life out of Grecia, Costa Rica. In January, a crew of us went to Residents of Life to shoot a portion of our documentary about foster care and adoption. And we were amazed at what this organization is able to do on so few resources. But here's what's amazing about them. Residents of Life has a 100% success rate with kids who age out of the system. 100% success rate with kids who age out of the system. Now, the country of Costa Rica does not have a foster care and adoption system. Uh, foster care and adoption system. They have orphanages, and yet, because they've been doing so well, Residents of Life is now going to become the very first uh, foster care uh, system inside of Costa Rica, the country. Ma- making this even more incredible is the fact that uh, Residents of Life takes the most difficult cases, kids who have been trafficked, kids with disabilities, and kids in large sibling groups, children who have experienced more than their fair share of trauma. And in addition to providing them safety, education, therapy, and healing, they also share the hope of the true and better father. On November 19th, here, we're going to be sharing the sizzle reel from the first part of our documentary with you. And the scissor reel is going to allow them an opportunity to raise funds from churches in the United States, but it's also going to allow us to raise funds for the rest of our documentary. And so on that day, we want you to know that 100% of the funds that come into Story City will be going to Residents of Life. Okay, so we're hoping that you'll join us in supporting Residents of Life and Story City as we work to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. So please make sure that you come, that you give on the 19th. It's going to be an important thing. And we're excited about that and about the upcoming documentary. Good? All right. Cool. Thanks for taking that time with me this morning. Let's get to our Minute to Mingle question. I'm excited about this one today. What makes you feel powerful? What do you got? Wheaties. Okay. Jonas, you are definitely German. All right. Coffee. Coffee. Yes, I'm having mine right now. What else? Money. That's a fair answer. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. I appreciate that. What else? Naps. Okay. All right. Is that before you take it, going into it, knowing you have power over it, or is it coming out of it? Both. Both. All right. Nice. What else? Endurance. Endurance. Okay. All right. Christ? Say it again. Yep. Somebody has to give a religious answer. Thank you. I appreciate that. That is fantastic. What else? What else we got? What makes you feel powerful? Affirmation. Affirmation from other people. True. What? Good hair days. All right. Now we're getting to the truth of it, right? When you have that fit on that just makes you feel like, yeah, I'm rocking this whole thing. That's, that's a powerful moment, right? If we're being honest. Okay. I, I, I had a moment in my life where uh, m- most of you know that motorcycling is a big deal to me. It's a, it's a part of who I am, right? Uh, and, and in high school, I grew up on this little tiny spree scooter. Because my mom told me motorcycles are really bad. Never mind, they owned a motorcycle ranch growing up where they raced dirt bikes, but, you know, motorcycles were bad. And so I used to have to ride like a half an hour to school in this little tiny spree. Like it would do 30 miles an hour if my head was tucked and the wind was behind my back. And it took me forever to get to school. But people would pass me at like 60 miles an hour on this little thing. And my mom was like, it's too dangerous, it's too dangerous. Until somebody finally came and said, have you not seen the cars going by? I'm like, this is way more dangerous. And so my mom finally said, all right, you can get a motorcycle. The rest is history. But one of the first days, I came up over one of the hills, and there was about eight cars in front of me, and they were going really slow, or, you know, slow. 
And I looked, and there was no one coming the opposite direction. And I cranked the throttle on my motorcycle, and I passed them before I even realized what was happening. And inside my heart, I went, oh, my goodness, <laughs> this is power, and this should never be a part of my life ever, ever again, right? That moment was like, oh, why have I not had access to this? My scooter did not do this. You know, scooters, it's great. It's like the Prius of the car world, right? Like, it gets you there, but no one is going, wow, I want that car. Today we're kicking off our new series called Redefined, and it's a Christian perspective on wealth and power. And I think a lot of us get into this place where it's like, well, what what are we supposed to do? Can we even talk about that in church? And I've noticed that, that there's really kind of two reactions to power specifically in the church. Either we lean heavily into it, it's like, hey, we gotta use this, we gotta get it, even if it's for good purposes, or we reject power altogether. And those of us who reject power altogether often do so because we've seen it abused. And so it's like, well, I want to stay as far away from that as possible because I've seen how negative the results can be from that. But this morning, I'd like to posit something different, that the Bible teaches a third way, a way that, like God's kingdom, is counterintuitive to the things that we have learned. And so one of the most encouraging things about the Scripture today is that they're dealing with much of the same stuff that we do today both inside and outside of the church. So for those taking notes today, here is our big idea for the day. Here's our big idea. God commands humility and surrender when we receive his power. God commands humility and surrender when we receive his power. We're going to see that as apprentices of Jesus, we live in a redeemed power. That redeemed power has a redeemed purpose And that redeemed power is a power surrendered. Let's go back and look at the scripture again and see how Jesus dealt with this situation. Matthew 20, 20 to 28. It says this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want? He asked her. Promise, she said to him. I love love the precociousness of that. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? We are able, they said to him. He told them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. When the ten disciples heard of this, they became indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love this. I love this because the Bible never shies away from the the hard stuff. It doesn't conceal the stupidity, the arrogance, the ignorance, or the brokenness of its main characters, right? Like, Like, check this out. Here, James and John, they use their mom to make the request. Now, you know it wasn't mom's request. Why? Because Jesus doesn't respond to her. He, he responds to the brothers. He knows this is coming from them. And they're like, yeah, we're going to use mom to do this, right? Not only do they use mom to do it, but they do it behind the other disciples' backs. They don't even have the, the, the guts to be like, hey, in front of everybody else, hey, Jesus, you know we got you more than anybody else, right? 
When the other disciples hear of it, they all, you know, they sing a hymn of forgiveness. Their little halos start glowing and they, they hop off skipping happily. And, no! Right? They're big mad. Of course they're big mad. But here's the cool part. In Jesus' response, there's actually two parts after the initial instance. We have Jesus' reaction to James and John. And then we have the, the ten other disciples finding out and Jesus doing a little team counseling and correction. Right? So in the first part, I want us to notice a couple things that are, that are helpful for us to understand this idea of power. In typical Jesus fashion, he asked them a question. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink? Now, Jesus already knows the answer to the question. This is typical of Jesus when he asks a question. It's not really for him. It's, it's, it's for us, right? He's trying to get us to think about something different. And Jesus is helping them understand, like, hey, are, are you going to drink this cup? Do you really know what it means to take on leadership in the kingdom of God? And then he, he in asking this question, points out, no, you guys really don't understand. He begins to correct their understanding of how the kingdom of God works. When Jesus is talking about the cup, he's talking about the cup of suffering. That's why he says, it's the cup I'm about to drink, Right? Now, some scholars believe that James and John assumed this is a cup of celebration, a cup of victory, like the inaugural banquet cup to Jesus' kingdom coming in. You can almost feel Jesus shaking his head like, oh my gosh, you guys really don't get this. But here's the second part that we have to take from what Jesus says. You notice that Jesus doesn't say, hey, there is no thrones. There is no other authority. No, what does he say? He says, yeah, but the Father determines who sit there, not me. And so by doing this, Jesus is clearly affirming there are other positions of leadership and authority in God's kingdom apart from himself. But who gets to sit there? And what does it look like to be a Christian and handle power? There's an old saying that absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Right. Is the handling of power then simply ensuring that we use the power in a good way and therefore it's all good? And these are questions for the second part of Jesus' passage. So for those taking notes today, this is the first observation for the day. We live in a redeemed power. We live in a redeemed power. When Jesus sits down with the 12 disciples to address the rift that James and John have created, he starts with this comparison and contrast between the ways that the Gentiles, that the rulers of this world exercise power and authority, and the way that they are called to exercise power and authority. And the reason that Jesus is comparing and contrasting is because he knows what they've been brought out of and what they're bringing brought into. Pastor John Piper writes this. He says, Paul says in Galatians 1.4 that Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. The age we live in is simply called evil. The world, world lies in the power of the evil one, and so the age of this world is evil. In Ephesians 5.16, Paul says, Redeem the time, for the days are evil. The days are evil, the age is evil because of the world, and all the days of the world lie in the power of the evil one. So Paul tells Christians in Colossians 1.13 that what happened to them when they were converted is that they were delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Christ. The implication is that this age is ruled by a dominion of darkness it's an evil age because the world lies in the power of a dark and evil master. To become a Christian is to be delivered from this dominion or this authority and power. 
Did you catch Piper's statement about being transferred from one kingdom to the other kingdom? Right? That's a really important thing for us. Why? Because the gospel is that since humanity first sinned, first rebelled against God, all of humanity now is born into sin. And in addition to that sinful nature, we also choose sin because we have natures that move us towards sin and away from God. We will never drift towards holiness. We will never drift towards unity. We will never drift towards love. But God, being a God of justice, can't just say, well, it's all good. He can't overlook sin or else he's not just. If God is not just, then he is not good. If he's not good, he is not God. So Jesus, who was and is always fully God, takes on human nature and enters our humanity in a real and physical way. The big Christianese word for this is hypostatic union. He is fully God and fully human. How does that work? We have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us how, it just tells us it is. And so Jesus, though perfect and without sin, takes on the penalty of that sin. And anyone who becomes an apprentice of Jesus is not only rescued from slavery of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God as a citizen, but then is also adopted as a daughter or son of the living God. Family, that's incredible. If this is true, then we have to understand that what's important in the kingdom of darkness is diametrically opposed to what's important in the kingdom of God. Verses 20 to 23 of today's passage and passages like Acts 1.8, which says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Show us that we were meant to use power. But it's not the power that comes from the kingdom of darkness. It can't be. I was once talking to a Christian, and, uh, and they were saying that they were uh, really wanting to explore witchcraft. And their argument was that if you used power for good things, then it was good power, right? And they were like, no, there's, there's, there's black magic and white magic. And if white magic is used for good things, then it's good stuff. But here's the problem. Trying to use evil to accomplish good is like trying to put out a fire using gasoline. It may be wet, but it's the wrong liquid to pour on a fire. (laughs) Power comes from either God or Satan. But let me be clear, their power is not equal. Satan's power is not equal to or greater than God's power, but it does exist. It does exist. We have to be aware of that. That Paul points out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that there is only one spirit in which God works. One spirit. And so anything done by another spirit, even if it's trying to be used for good purposes, is evil and not from God. The work of God is God's alone, and though the enemy can mimic some of that, he can never accomplish what God can accomplish. He can never bring about what God is going to bring about, and it will never end in good even if it starts to look like that. But here's the thing. There are still two kingdoms, and we can only belong to one or the other. There is no other thing. We either belong to the kingdom of heaven or we belong to the kingdom of darkness. And though there are very different ways... uh, uh, In each kingdom, there are very different ways to live and different implications and different values of what it means to live those ways. And so if we understand what Jesus means when he says today's passage, we have to understand how this impacts our view of not just power, but the things that are adjacent to power, like fame, influence, authority, position, leadership, and more. And this passage probably applies to each of us more than we even realize. Goggin and Strobel write this. They write, we all want to feel as if we are a part of something important, something unique, something that is going somewhere. 
We want to be where the action is. We don't want to be a part of something ordinary. We want to be a part of something special. Being a part of God's kingdom doesn't just feel exciting and sexy enough. The day-to-day reality of being with God in our work, our home life, and our community lacks the power, the transcendence, the specialness we crave because we long for the validation of our importance. For those taking notes today, this brings us to our second observation for the day. Redeemed power has a redeemed purpose. Redeemed power has a redeemed purpose. In verse 28, Jesus doesn't just show us that, that our use of kingdom power is different. He shows us it also has a different purpose. So what are some of the purposes attached to our use of God's power? First, let's start in verse 28 of today's passage. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in God's kingdom, power is to be used to serve. It's a a clear indication. Power is to be used to serve, but it's also to establish and accomplish his kingdom's purposes. We see this again in Acts 1.8, which we talked about earlier. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And what is is the result of that? We will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. In the New Testament, the authors clearly uh, uh, equate and tie together the ideas of power and authority, especially when they're talking about Jesus. Those things come together. And so when Jesus commissions us to his mission, we see the delegation of that power and authority not to make our name great, but to make his name great, to further his personal kingdom, to carry out his commands in his name for his glory. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, Jesus came near to them and said, all authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, this is the passing of that authority, that responsibility, that power, And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And here's the part where he reminds us where that power comes from. And remember, I am with you always to the ends of the age. So the expansion of God's kingdom then, this is important for us to note, because if we're looking at God's uh, uh, um, model, the way that God showed us what is happening here, The expansion of God's kingdom is not accomplished with force, but with humility, with love, and with service. Remember, that was Jesus' example. He came not to serve, to be served, but to serve and give his life away. He tells the disciples then and us, if we seek influence and power and position in God's kingdom, that's not wrong, right? It's not wrong to do that, but we must do it, and it only happens through the elevation of others and putting God's kingdom and people ahead of us. To take power in God's kingdom is to surrender power. It's opposite. It always, always is tied to servanthood, surrender, love, sacrifice, and giving away. In their book, The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb, Goggin and Strobel point out this is exactly how God's kingdom fights against the gates of hell. They explore how unrighteous power and authority lead to systems of power divide, discord, distrust, division, and hate, in the places where God intended love, relationship, and community. Using the example of systemic racism, they write this in particular. The problem we face is that most of us do not know how to attack a system. Racism is not simply the sum of its parts. To stand firm against these evils, as Paul calls us to in Ephesians 6, we have to expose them to the light of the gospel. We must reject the division these evils sow and pursue reconciliation and unity in Christ. The church Family, listen to this. The church must be an alternate culture in which love reigns 
and division is rejected. If we're going to learn what it means to stand against the way from below and embrace the way from above, we have to continue to seek out those who can show us the way. We have to find sages of the power to love who have rejected the power to control, particularly in the face of systemic uh, systemic evils like racism. We must find exemplars of kingdom battle. This is exactly what it means to be great, to embrace power in God's kingdom. Not to have power and influence for ourselves, but to help others move God's kingdom into healthy relationships with Jesus and people as we stand against the enemy, not by might nor by power, but through the Holy Spirit. Over and over when the Bible talks about us receiving power or authority in God's kingdom, that a power and authority comes through the Holy Spirit and his working. The prophet tells us this in Zechariah 4.6. So he answered me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. Jesus tells us in verse 38 of Acts 2 that everyone who, of us who becomes a follower of Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. That's called baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is to help us be who we are called to be and live the life we have been called to live. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus gets the Holy Spirit. You cannot be an apprentice of Jesus, a Jesus follower, and not have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit then, the Bible tells us, gives us at least one supernatural gift or ability to help us carry out God's mission. That's empowerment of the Spirit. As we've discussed in previous sermons, though, it's important we remember that we don't own our own gifts, right? God doesn't give us a gift and like, hey, have fun with that, like giving a two-year-old an axe and being like, I hope he doesn't hurt himself or anybody else. No, we are gifted in order to bring fame to God and help to his people to accomplish his mission. That's the reason that we're given any gifts whatsoever. If God has gifted us with a supernatural ability, it's not our power or our strength that does it anyway. We can't use it on command like some sort of sword or club. It doesn't work that way. It's there for God to be able to do stuff in us and through us. And so every time we use the gift that we've been given, it's always God that does the work. Now, for whatever reason, God has chosen to use his church to be the instrument by which he accomplishes his will and his plan for the world. God doesn't need us. He could do that all by himself. And yet he chooses to use us and include us in his plan. I don't know why, because we're pretty broken vessels. But it's a beautiful part of what God is doing to redeem us. But this is why Jesus said it was good for him to return to the Father and that we would not only do the things he did, but greater things. It wasn't that we're going to have more power than Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is that he could impact thousands while he was here on earth, but his church, doing what he's called them to do, would impact billions. Because we don't own the gifts, they're not ours to use for our benefits, our plan, our purpose, or for our credit. A good way to determine, then, if power is from heaven is by examining who it glorifies. If it glorifies anything other than God, it is not from God. For those taking notes today, this brings us to our third and final observation for the day. Redeemed power is a power surrendered. Redeemed power is a power surrendered. In verses 25 to 28, Jesus highlights the contrasting outcomes of power usage in the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of seven, uh, the kingdom of Satan. Verse 25 says this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. That's the result of earthly power. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
No matter our intentions, when we grasp and hold the power from the kingdom of this world, it leads to destructive and harmful results. Why? Because it feeds the part of us that drifts away from God, the part of us that desires the things that unholy power promises. Now, it may even work out great for us personally in the short term, but more often than not, it will leave a wake of destruction in our path. Power in God's kingdom starts with humility and sacrificial love for others and never moves away from that base. Look at verse 27 again. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That word for slave in verse 27 is the word doulos. Doulos. Now, it means bondservant or slave. Now, not that it can't, but that word doesn't generally apply to the type of chattel slavery that we're, we might think of when that word comes up. Generally, a bondservant was somebody who was an indentured servant. And typically, that was by choice. Someone by choice who's working to get something out of it. You saw this a lot in uh, people apprenticing a trade or paying off a family debt. According to some authors, it was a common way in the 17th century for people coming from England to pay for their passage to the new colonies. Jesus isn't telling us to physically become bondservants. He's telling us that the way to power in the kingdom of God is to give it away, to surrender to God as our master, trusting in his power through us rather than seizing it ourselves like the kingdom of darkness requires. This is about a heart posture that required the uses of power in God's kingdom. One author writes, rather than greatness being bestowed because of status, it will be bestowed based on service. The most prominent among Jesus' followers will be the one who is slave to others. Leadership in the redeemed community will be totally unlike leadership in the world. Family, this is what we're called to, how we're called to use power, even as we interact with the kingdom of darkness. How we claim power at work, how we claim power at home, how we claim power anywhere is by serving, by surrendering through humility. Paul shows us this clearly in 2 Corinthians. He says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Family, here's what we've learned today. God commands humility and surrender when we receive his power. That as apprentices of Jesus, we live in a redeemed power. That redeemed power has a redeemed purpose, and that redeemed power is a power surrendered. All of us have to deal with power. All of us are accountable how we use power and its adjacent aspects like influence, position, authority, fame, leadership. Those of us who are apprenticing Jesus must also understand that whatever power God empowers us with by his spirit is for his mission and his glory. Lastly, I want to remind you of this. Love is the test of whether spiritual gifts and power amount to anything. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels but not, have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if, I have not prophetic, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I hope this has been helpful for you this morning. We're now going to take a moment to enter communion. And as we get ready for communion, I want to remind you that this isn't just about us presenting ourselves to God, but getting to experience God who pursues us, presenting himself to us. And they're remembering that, that this is the body of the Lord broken for us. This is the reminder that Jesus came to enter humanity to us. He meets us where we're at. For his blood shed 
met us where we could not go and brought us into places we could not access. And as we take communion this morning, it's a reminder that this is exactly what is happening. That he is once again meeting us and drawing us in to him. And so family, I just encourage you to have our hearts right before the Lord when we come to communion. Take a moment and make sure you're right with the Lord. If you are not an apprentice of Jesus at this time, it's okay, this is not for you. It's not that we want to reject you from this, but this really only makes sense if we're in surrendering to Jesus. And so we'd ask, just hang out in your seats. No one's going to judge you. No one will even notice because people come up at different times. Grab the juice, grab the bread, go back to your chair. Have a moment with Jesus. Be thankful for what he's doing. And then we'll move on with the service. Let's pray. God, thank you for all that you have done. I thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, you are incredible. I thank you that you meet us here undeserved, that you give us what we need, power and authority, not because we've earned it or deserved it, not because we take it from ourselves, but because you are good and you have done these things. We praise you, Jesus, in your name.